Section 41 of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in April 2012. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 2 by Thomas Stevens. Chapter 19, Part 2 Through Japan. The wooden houses of Japan seem frail and temporary, but they look new and bright mostly in the country. The government buildings, police offices, post offices, schools, etc., all look new and bright and artistic, as though but lately finished. The roads, too, are sometimes laid out straight and trim, suggestive of an attempt to imitate the roads of France, then, again, one traverses for miles the counterpart of the green lanes of merry England, narrow, winding, and romantic. The Japanese roads are mainly about ten or twelve feet wide, giving ample room for two jinrikishas to pass, these being the only wheeled vehicles on the roads. Rustic bridges frequently span lovely little babbling brooks, and waterfalls abound this afternoon, as I approach, at early eve, Fuchishi. Rain necessitates a layover of a day at Fuchishi, but there is nothing unendurable about it. The proprietor of the house is a blind man who plays the samosan and makes the girls sing and dance the geisha for my edification. Beef and chicken are both forthcoming at Fuchishi, and the fish, as in almost all Japanese towns, are very excellent. The weather opens clear and frosty after the rain, and the road to Fukuoko is most excellent wheeling. The country continues charming, and every day the people seem to get more and more polite and agreeable. A novel sight of the morning's ride is a big gang of convicts working the roads. They are fastened together with light chains, wear neat brown uniforms, and seem to regard the unconvicted world of humans outside their own company with an expression of apology. To look in their serio-comic faces, it is difficult to imagine them capable of doing anything wrong, except in fun. They look, in fact, as if their being chained together and closely attended by guards was of itself anything but a serious affair. Cavalry officers, small, smart-looking, and soldierly, in yellow-braided uniforms, are seen in Fukuoko, looking as unasiatic in make-up as the schools, policemen, and telegraph operators. A collision with a jinrikisha that treats me to a header, and another with a diminutive jab that bowls him over like a ninepin, and a third with a bobtailed cat that damages nothing but pussy's dignity, enter into my reminiscences of Fukuoko. The numbers of jinrikishas and the peculiar habits of the people necessitate lynx-eyed vigilance to prevent collisions every hour of the day. The average Jap leaves the door of a house backward and bows and scrapes his way clear out into the middle of the street, in bidding adieu to the friends he has been calling upon, or even the shopkeeper he has been patronizing. Scarcely a village is passed through, but some person waltzes backward out of a door and right in front of the bicycle. 
a curious sight one frequently sees along the road is an acre or two of ground covered with paper parasols set out in the sun to dry after being pasted glued and painted ready for market umbrellas and paper lanterns are as much a part of the japanese traveller's outfit as his clothes these latter nowadays are sometimes a very grotesque mixture of native and european costume the craze for foreign innovations pervades all ranks of society and every village dandy aspires to some article of european clothing the result is that one frequently encounters men on the road wearing a derby hat a red blanket tight-fitting white drawers and straw sandals the villager who sports a european hat or coat comes round to my yadoya wearing an amusing expression of self-satisfaction as though filled with an inward consciousness of approval of the same whereas every european traveller deprecates the change from their native costume to their own following for some distance along the bank of a large canal i reached the village of hakama for the night the yadoya here is simply spotless from top to bottom however the japanese hotel-keeper manages to transact business and preserve such immaculate apartments is more of a puzzle every day the regulation custom at the yadoya is for the newly arrived guest to take a scalding hot bath and then squat beside a little brazier of coals and smoke and chat till supper-time the japanese are more addicted to hot water bathing than the people of any other country they souse themselves in water that has been heated to 140 degrees Fahrenheit, a temperature that is quite unbearable to the Ingurisu Jin, or America Jin, until he becomes gradually hardened and accustomed to it. Both men and women bathe regularly in hot water every evening. The Japs have not yet imbibed any great quantity of mauvaise honte from their association with Europeans, so the sexes frequent the bathtub indiscriminately, taking no more notice of one another than if they were all little children. Venus disporting in the waves of a bathtub is a regular feature of life at a Japanese inn. Nor can they quite understand why the European tourist should object to the proprietor, his wife and children, chambermaids, tea-girls, guests and visitors crowding around to see him undress and waltz into the tub. Bless their innocent Japanese souls, why should he object? They are only attracted out of curiosity to see the whiteness of his skin, to note his peculiar manner of undressing, and to satisfy a general inquisitiveness concerning his corporeal possibilities. They have no squeamishness whatever about his watching their own natatorial duties. Why, then, should he shrink within himself and wave them off? The regular hotel meals consist of rice, fish in various forms, little slices of crisp raw turnip, pickles, and a ketchup-like sauce. Meat is rarely forthcoming, unless specially ordered, when, of course, extra charges are made. Sake also has to be purchased separately. After supper, one is supplied with a teapot of tea and a brazier of coals. Passing the following night at Hakama, I pull out next morning for Shimonoseki. 
traversing for some miles a hilly country covered with pine forest my road brings me into ashiya situated on a small estuary here at ashiya i indulge in my first simon pure japanese shave patronizing the village barber while dodging a passing shower the japanese tonsorial artist shaves without the aid of soap merely wetting the face by dipping his fingers in a bowl of warm water during the operation of shaving he hones the razor frequently on an oilstone he shaves the entire face and neck not omitting even the lobes of the ear the forehead and nose if the european traveller didn't keep his senses about him while in the barber-chair of a japanese village he would find himself with every particle of fuzz scraped off his face and neck save of course his regular whiskers or moustache and with eyebrows considerably curtailed from ashiya my road follows up alongside a small tidal canal to hakamatsu travelling a lowland country devoted entirely to the cultivation of rice scores of coal barges are floating along the canal propelled solely by the flowing of the tide i can imagine them floating along until the tide changes then tying up and waiting patiently until it ebbs and flows again from long experience they no doubt have come to calculate upon one two or three tides as the case may be floating their barges up to certain landings or villages the streets of hakamatsu present a lively and picturesque scene swarming with country people in the gayest of costumes the stalls are fairly groaning beneath big piles of tempting eatables toys clothing lanterns tissue paper flowers and every imaginable japanese thing street men are attracting small crowds about them by displaying curiosities one old fellow i pause a while to look at is selling tiny rolls of coloured paper which when cast into a bowl of water unfold into flowers boats houses birds or animals in explanation of the holiday-making a young man in a custom-house uniform who knows a few words of english explains japan god it is some religious festival these smiling chatting bowing and comical-looking crowds are keeping with such evident relish from hakamatsu to kokura the country is hilly and broken from kokura one can look across the narrow strait and see shimonoseki on the mainland of japan thus far we have been traversing the island of kyushu separated from the main island by a strait but a few hundred yards wide at shimonoseki from kokura the jinrikisha road leads a couple of ri farther to dairi thence footpaths traverse hills and wax-tree groves for another two miles ri is something over two english miles to the village of moji here i obtain passage on a little ferry-boat across to shimonoseki arriving there about two o'clock in the afternoon a twenty-four hours halt is made at shimonoseki in deference to rainy weather the landlady of the yadoya understands enough about european cookery to prepare me a very decent beefsteak and a pot of coffee shimonoseki is full of european goods and clever imitations of the same a stroll of an hour through the streets reveals the extent of the jap's appreciation of foreign things 
every other shop, almost, seems devoted to the goods that come from other countries, or their counterfeits. Not content with merely copying an imported article, the Japanese artisan generally endeavors to make some improvement on the original. For instance, after making an exact imitation of a petroleum lamp, the Jap workman constructs a neat little lacquer cabinet to set it in when not in use. The coffee pot in which the coffee served at my yadoya is prepared is an ingenious contrivance with three chambers, evidently a reproduction of Yankee ingenuity. A big Shinto temple occupies the crest of a little hill nearby, and flags of stone steps lead up to the entrance. At the foot of the steps, and repeated at several stages up the slope, are the peculiar torii, or bird perches, that form the distinctive mark of a Shinto temple. Numerous shrines occupy the courtyard of the temple. The shrines are built of wood mostly, and contain representations of the various gods to whose particular worship they are dedicated. Before each shrine is a barred receptacle for coins. The Japanese devotee poses for a minute before the shrine, bowing his head and smiting together the palms of his hands. He then tosses a diminutive coin or two into the barred treasury, and passes on round to the next shrine he wishes to pay his respects to. In the main building are numerous pictures, bows, arrows, swords, and various articles, evidently votive offerings. The shrine of the deity that presides over the destiny of fishermen is distinguished by a huge silver paper fish and numerous three-pronged fish spears. Among other queer objects whose meaning defies the penetration of the traveller unversed in Japanese mythology is a monstrous human face, with a nose at least three feet long and altogether out of proportion. Strolling about to while away a rainy forenoon, I pass big schoolhouses full of children reciting aloud. Their wooden clogs and paper umbrellas are stowed away in racks provided for the purpose at the door. The cheerfulness with which they shout out their exercises proves plainly enough that they are only keeping make-believe school. Female vegetable and fruit vendors, neat and comely as Normandy dairy maids, are walking about, chatting and smiling and bowing, playing at selling vegetables. While I pause a moment to inspect the stock of a curio dealer, the proprietor, seated over a brazier of coals, smoking, bows politely and points, with a chuckle of amusement, at the fierce-looking effigy of a daimyo in armour. There is not the slightest hint of a mercenary thought about his actions. Plainly enough, he hasn't the remotest wish to sell me anything. He merely wants to call my attention to the grotesqueness of this particular figure. He is only playing curio dealer. He doesn't try to sell anything, but would do so out of the abundance of his good nature if requested to, no doubt. A pair of little old-fashioned fire engines repose carelessly against the side of a municipal building. They have grown tired of playing at extinguishing fires and have thrown aside their toys. I wander to the waterfront and try to locate my hotel from that point of observation. Watermen are lounging about in wisteria waterproof coats. 
they want me to ride to my destination in one of their boats very evidently from their manner only for the fun of the thing everybody is smiling and urbane nobody looks serious no careworn faces are seen no pinched poverty wonderful people they come nearer solving the problem of living happily than any other nation even the professional mendicants seem to be amused at their own poverty as if life to them was a mere humorous experiment scarcely deserving of a serious thought the weather clears up at noon and in the face of a strong northern breeze i bid farewell to shimonoseki the road follows for some miles along the shore a smooth level road that winds about the bases of the hills that here slope down to toy and dally with the restless surf of the famous inland sea following the shore in a general sense the road now and then leads inland for a mile or two for the purpose of linking together the numerous towns and villages that dot the little alluvial valleys between the hills passing through one large village my attention is attracted by the sign english books over a bookshop desirous of purchasing some kind of a guide for the road to kobe i enter the establishment expecting at least to find someone capable of understanding english the young man in charge knows never a word of english and his stock of english books consists of primers spelling books etc for the use of school children the architecture of the villages above shimonoseki is strikingly artistic the quaint gabled houses are painted a snowy white and are roofed with brown glazed tiles of curious pattern also rimmed with white about the houses are hedges grotesquely clipped and trained in imitation of storks animals or fishes miniature orange and persimmon trees pretty flower gardens and little landscape vanities peculiar to the japanese circling round through little valleys over small promontories and along smooth gravelly stretches of seashore road for thirty miles brings me to anchor for the night in a good-sized village among my visitors for the evening is a young gentleman arrayed in shiny top-boots, tight-fitting corduroy trousers, and jockey cap. In his general make-up he is the horsiest individual I have seen for many a day. One could readily imagine him to be a professional jockey. The probability is, however, that he has never mounted a horse in his life. In all likelihood he has become infatuated with this style of western clothes from studying a copy of the london graphic has gone to great trouble and expense to procure the garments from yokohama and now blossoms forth upon the dazed provincials of his native town in a make-up that stamps him as the swellest of the swell he affects great interests in the bicycle much more so than the average jap from which i infer that he has actually imbibed certain notions of western sport and is desirous of posing before his uninitiated and consequently unappreciative countrymen as an exponent of athletics altogether the horsey young gentleman is the most startling representative of new japan i have yet encountered a cold drizzle ushers in the commencement of my next day's journey one is loath to exchange the next yadoya with everything within so spotless and so pleasant 
the tiny garden not over ten yards square but containing a miniature lake grottoes quaint stone lanterns bronze storks flowers and stunted trees for the road disagreeable weather has followed me however from nagasaki like an avenging fate bent on preventing the consummation of my tour from being too agreeable even with rain and mud and consequent delays my first few days in japan have seemed a very paradise after my chinese experiences what then would have been my impressions of country and people amid sunshine and favourable conditions of weather and road when the novelty of it all first burst upon my chinese disgusted senses the country round about is mountainous snow lying upon the summits of a few of the higher peaks the road though hilly at times manages to twist and wind its way along from one little valley to another without any very long hills peasants from the mountains are met with leading ponies loaded with firewood and rice their old japanese aboriginal costumes of wisteria raincoats broad bamboo hats and rude straw sandals make a conspicuous contrast to their countrymen of new japan in derby hats or jockey suits notwithstanding the rapid europeanizing of the city-bred japs the government's progressive policy the blue-coated gendarmerie and the general revolutionizing of the country at large many a day will come and go ere these mountaineers forsake the ways and methods and grotesque costumes of their ancestors for decades japan will present an interesting study of mountaineer conservatism and ultra-liberal city life one party will be wearing foreign clothes aping foreign manners adopting foreign ways of doing everything the other will be clinging tenaciously to the wisteria garments bamboo sieve hats straw sandals and the traditions of old japan most farmhouses are now thatched with straw one need hardly add that they are prettily and neatly thatched and that they are embellished by various unique contrivances some of them i notice are surrounded by a broad thick hedge of dark green shrubbery the hedge is trimmed so that the upper edge appears to be a continuation of the brown thatch which merely changes its colour and slopes at the same steep gradient to the ground this device produces a very charming effect particularly when a few neatly trimmed young pines soar above the hedge like green sentinels about the dwelling one inimitable piece of botanical architecture observed to-day is a thick shrub trimmed into an imitation of a mountain with trees growing on the slopes and a temple standing in a grove before many of the houses one sees curious tree roots or rocks that have been brought many a mile down from the mountains and preserved on account of some fanciful resemblance to bird reptile or animal artificial lakes islands waterfalls bridges temples and groves abound and at occasional intervals a large figure of the buddha squats serenely on a pedestal smiling in happy contemplation of the peace happiness prosperity and beauty of everything and everybody around happy people happy country are the japs acting wisely 
or are they acting foolishly in permitting european notions of life to creep in and revolutionize it all who can tell time alone will prove they will get richer more powerful and more enterprising because of the necessity of waking themselves up to keep abreast of the times but wealth and power and the buzz and rattle of machinery and commerce do not always mean happiness. End of section 41